Hi everybody, what are we on? 17. 17. Okay. Hi everybody, welcome to Whatever You Show, episode 17. It's um, you that's stupid this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just this week. Fuck, uh, what are we doing? We can't do this yet. Because there's beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Alright everybody, so we're back. We're on episode 17 this week. We have beer. Um, this, this is the Burnside Sweet Heat, which you can find at your local uh, supermarket and so on. And it's pretty good stuff. Um, I really like it. Tangerine-y, kind of uh, peppery, um, tasty stuff. Wheat beer? Yeah. Um, it looks weedy, but I don't think it is. I think it's just unfiltered. Yeah, unfiltered maybe? Yeah, probably. Um, and what he says, when he says you can pick it up at your local grocery store or whatever um that obviously doesn't apply if you don't live probably in the pacific northwest oh good point good point see um i really kind of like living in the pacific northwest these days because we've got some fucking great breweries up here like um you know people complain about domestic beers all the time and i think that they're just drinking shitty domestic beers because we've got lots of good stuff here yeah um actually we do have some beer news it's not in the show notes but we should talk about it so um yeah a couple things have happened in the beer industry that have pissed some people off recently the biggest of which is um heineken actually bought a 50 percent stake in lagunitas um so that's I'm, a big deal i'm gonna throw this out here i'm a huge huge fan of the little guy um but i don't have a problem with this i will fight anheuser-busch InBev tooth and nail um on anything and i i think it's despicable when they buy out breweries but um heineken granted is one of the i think it's the sixth largest beer manufacturer in the world or something like that it's pretty big big deal yeah um but they don't generally buy out smaller breweries and stuff and my understanding of this deal is is it's not a complete buyout a it's 50 percent. so there's there, there has to be agreements between the two parties before, you know, they can move forward. And Heineken was basically just excited about being able to bring Lagunita's product internationally, which I think is huge for craft beer. Definitely. Um, and there's people out there saying that it's not craft beer once there's a big corporate interest and whatnot. But if they're letting the guys do what they've done and just run the brewery the way they've always run it, and they just have financial backing and distribution that's worldwide, I don't have a problem with it. Um so that's yeah. that's my piece on that. See, that's kind of the thing with everybody. Everybody worries about when a big corporation buys out anything. And you can talk about beer. You can talk about video games. It doesn't really matter what you're talking about. Um, we've had actually had this discussion concerning uh, some of our favorite uh, movie franchises with the whole Marvel thing and uh, Pixar. We've talked about we talked about Star Wars, and of course those were all bought out by Disney. But it hasn't really affected the product at all. So that's totally fine with me. So I I'm kind of falling on the same side of the coin here. If um, Heineken buys out Lagunitas and immediately turns it into, you know, Heineken piss water. Just don't get me wrong, I actually don't mind Heineken on certain occasions. But if they immediately turn it into Heineken, then yeah, that that's totally shit. But Lagunitas, I mean, they make good beer. And as, if they just want to get that across the seas and make some more money off of it, that's fine. Uh, as long as they don't, you know, go changing shit and wrecking everything. If I have to drink a lager, I, I, I do prefer Heineken. Yeah. Bex uh, isn't bad, but I think Bex is also owned by the devil. So, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind Heineken quite as much. Um, I'd probably drink a Corona, but 
that's just me I, of course that when i when i drink any of this stuff it's like because we're barbecuing or because there's uh i just got done mowing the lawn or something like that that's a good time to you have. need a cool refreshing glass of water yeah <laughs> that's that is actually the perfect time to have those types of beers so yeah, that's that's beer news. Uh, Miller Coors also bought a smaller brewery down in the San Diego area, and it's it's pissed off the San Diegoites quite a bit. Um, Miller Coors is another company that I don't have as big of a beef with. Um, they haven't seemed outwardly aggressive. So here's here's my deal when it comes to the InBev Anheuser Busch corporate conglomerate. They will try and buy you, and if you don't sell them, then they will find something to sue you for and just litigate it until you can no longer afford to defend yourself and go out of business. Um, that's not okay with me. I understand that business laws were set up to accommodate some of those behaviors, um, I, but I think those laws need to be changed. And I fucking hate Anheuser-Busch slash InBev with a passion, so um, probably never going to see any, any sponsorship from them, <laughs> um, which is fine because I'll just piss on their beer anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it really sucked. Like the one guy that's listening right now is uh, sitting over in the Anheuser Busch office is like, "Oh yeah, they talk about beer. This is the perfect end to the crap." Oh, damn! <laughs> Oops. Damn it! Uh, all right. And yes, Anheuser Busch, my piss probably has a higher ABV than Bud Light. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what time of day it is, but probably. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, all right, should we get to the show? Yeah, that's that's beer talk. Um, what do we got? Let's, um, well, we have a few things, um, that I think is going to send us down quite a few bunny trails. So let's talk about, this is probably the easy one first. Um, we've got, uh, pics of the Hawk people as in Hawk guy and Hawk girl from, uh, the new, um, uh, show whose name I'm forgetting. Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. I think they look good. Yeah, me too. Um, Hawkman and Hawk girl are kind of difficult oh, to I do. I said Hawk guy, damn it. Well, whatever. This is like already we're like five minutes into the episode and I need to get the dart shot already. I I, I loaded it. Where did I put yeah, it? It's okay. It's, it's not here right now. We're good. Oh, it's right here. Damn. <laughs> I gotta start hiding that. <laughs> anyway, um, no, they look good. Um, the the thing that's interesting to me is I this is the job that I would fear if I were a costume designer because the the Hawkman and Hawk Girl costumes are, they look clumsy at best when you're trying to put one on a human being and do stuff um it's, especially on a cw show where they probably don't have the largest cgi budget budget to work with um it's not a, con- a costume that really lends well to reality like uh um spider-man i think is a good costume for reality and you can do it very little with a very low budget i mean the basic ingredients are be skinny spandex you know, webbing on the costume, and, and you can do that really easily. But no, the hawk, the hawk man, hawk girl costumes, I think, are those that really look fine on a page, um, but uh, have a huge uh, um, tendency to look really crappy in real life. So these look okay. I mean, I'm it's still you know, hawk man and hawk girl in in real life, but uh, these look, don't look bad. So yeah, no, I I agree, and um, I'm I'm excited to see the show. I want to see where it goes. Me too, because I, I think so far, especially when we're seeing Hawkman and Hawk Girl, I think we're going down into the deep end of the DC universe a little bit, um, which I'm excited for. Yeah. So uh, the, this is going to be new territory, I think, for pretty much everybody, um, unless you're really into the comics already. But I think, generally speaking, a lot of the types of viewers we're going to get from this are people that watch Arrow and The Flash, 
who don't necessarily have any familiarity with um, any of the comic book stuff. And so this may be their first experience with the Hawk uh, uh, duo. So um, Hawkman was featured in a few episodes of Smallville. Yeah. Um, what Still I like about what I like about these costumes is that they didn't just go fish that costume out of storage and yeah. put it on somebody else. Um, Eddie hasn't seen it yet, but Hawkman in Smallville was portrayed by uh, Michael Shanks, who played Dr. Daniel Jackson in the Stargate SG-1 series. Yeah, we talked about that, I think. And he was phenomenal as as Carter Hall. So so which direction do you think they're going with Hawkgirl and Hawkman in this? We think you're going to see Thanagari and... You know, no, I d- didn't. Didn't we read an article, or did, or, we? did we? I think we posted an article Probably. that talked about how they were going with more of the Egyptian lore origin. All right. Cool, which is fine. Yeah. So um, that's that's it for DC news. We've got a couple um, other things. Um, so Marvel news. We've got some Marvel news. Jessica Jones. Um, we're going to post on the show notes a an article that actually kind of explains who Jessica Jones is, where she came from, and how she got to where she is today. She's not one of the most talked about characters in the Marvel universe. So a lot of people may not be familiar with, uh, with her, um, or Luke Cage, um, who in fact is her husband in the comic books. Gotta be honest. I'm pretty, um, in the dark here. Uh, um, I actually had to, you know, glance at the article we're going to post here because I don't really know much about them. Although I think that I'm probably sitting in the majority here too, because this is another one where, um, I think that people, there's going to be a lot of people who watch daredevil that just want more of that, that are going to watch the, this show and the rest of the um, stuff that Netflix has got going on with that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for Jessica Jones. I want to see it. And, um, it's, it's kind of cool because she is a character that you don't, know a lot about and to me it's interesting when you can like we're doing a jessica jones series with no like the people that are going to watch it are the people that watch daredevil like there's there's no uh data really that says yes this show is going to sell yeah you know and since it's a netflix show it's not like they're counting on ad revenue or anything like that this is like they're jumping in feet first see this is a um it's like the HBO model, essentially. Make good quality television and people will watch it. Um, um, so I think that, yeah, we're going to see a lot of that. But I think this is an interesting route to go because I think a lot of people are going to watch it simply because it's got the Netflix logo on it. Like, um, in much the same way that a lot of people will watch a Marvel movie. And we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy in the past. And people will watch Guardians of the Galaxy in spite of the fact that they know nothing about it. Just simply because it's got the Marvel name on it. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit about that, that coming from Netflix. Um, who's got you know some pretty big deal shows on um, Orange is the New Black is certainly one that I hear talked about more than just you know from a few friends Daredevil has gotten pretty much uh, um, tons and tons of acclaim and critical praise um, from lots of people uh, and certainly could be a big draw for the the Netflix uh, brand itself and I think Jessica Jones is another one of those that just draws uh, you know people in and satisfies that sort of niche um Actually, I was thinking about this a little bit because you ever watch Silicon Valley on HBO? I've seen an episode or two. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So I was just watching Silicon Valley the other day and I was watching it and they made a joke about Kevin Rose. Do you have any idea who Kevin Rose is? Kevin Rose found a dig. Um, yes. Anyway, they made a joke about Kevin Rose and I was like, God, that's funny. And then secondly, who are they writing this show for? And then I realized that like it's a very tiny population that... that um, are looking for things like this, um, which, you know, of course made the show even more endearing to me. That's where I think the Jessica Jones thing is is, is pointed at. It's pointed at a very, very specific audience. Like there are definitely people who will watch it. 
Um, just based on the fact that they do know who Jessica Jones is and they're yeah. going to watch and see, you know, the treatment of the character and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to take a step back to Orange is the New Black and and I'm just going to throw this out there. It is a quality show, but it's a quality show for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons to me is in the very first episode, you see Laura Briefon's boobs. <laughs> that is one of its better features, yeah. And anybody who doesn't know Laura Prepon by name, she was Donna Pinciotti on that 70s show and... You know Hot. her from that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's got dark hair now, glasses, and boobs. Yeah. I know she has boobs because I've seen them. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, I also want to, I guess, since we were talking about Orange is the New Black for a second, this is another thing that is interesting to me about this show. Uh, Laura Prepon, definitely super hot. Uh, the, the chick that plays the um, Piper. Piper. Uh, God, her name is Taylor something, I want to say. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Yeah. Um, She's also super hot, but the interesting thing about Orange is the New Black to me is that it is a show that you know you know just shows humanity warts and all. Like they 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 could very easily have made this like all CWE where everybody is beautiful. And They're they, not. They went the exact opposite, like um, which is sort of an interesting thing because they show all these things that are unglamorous in real life, and you know it really comes through in the show. Um, so that's that's something I really like about it. Like. They, they definitely had an opportunity there to go, um, the, I don't know if I want to say sexist, but certainly sexy route with the show. And they, they shied away from that in, in, in favor of making good TV, which is... Um, well, cool. I, I think they went the sexy route in terms of they um, they made Piper and Laura Prepon's character very much not ugly. Do you know um, anything about the background? Of the show, yeah, I know it's, it's all based it's on. Based on it's based on that Piper's part. That real part at least experience. yeah makes sense because uh, Piper in real life is not as hot as Piper in the show, but she she's not bad. She's, they, she's pretty. She's pretty. Those those characters, uh, they're they're dressing them up. It's kind of like Superman's blue and red costume. Like it's the brightest part of the movies. Well, unless you're watching Man of Steel, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Most traditionally, like it's 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 what sticks out. Like the Superman mythos in the, general is brighter than the rest of the comic book genre for a very specific reason and that's because he's kind of the central character and they're the central characters of it so they're the they're the ones that are actually the beautiful people and then everybody else looks like they're legitimately in a women's prison yeah which is uh really funny actually i just we just uh, me and my wife watch this and we don't watch a whole lot of tv so we're a little behind but uh we just started watching season two and uh in the first episode of season two i i saw this chick and i was like god who is she oh it's tank girl um, I can't remember what Lori Petty. Yeah, Lori Petty. Yeah, it, and that took me a real long time to you know figure that out. A because Lori Petty is it has just a ridiculous haircut in there, and second because it's been like twenty five years since Tank Girl. So, um, and there's a there's another character in there that was actually the reason that I my wife convinced me I should watch it, not because she knew anything about this person, but because she knew that I knew who who it was. Um, and that is uh, Captain Catherine Janeway. Yeah, same, same. I had the same, you know. Um, so it's Kate Mulgrew um, is the uh, quite Russian kitchen lady. Yeah. And she's not Captain Catherine Janeway anymore. Yeah. This is another thing that I guess I like about this show, too. Like, um, if you see these these women at a press event or something like that, they look like completely different people um, because, you know, they're, they're there they get the opportunity to do makeup. And, I, uh, you know, I assume that the, most of the makeup for the show actually is just not having it you know um in, in some cases i'm sure they they do make up to make them look worse because they're in prison so they shouldn't you know look you know pretty but 
uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say it's like brave or anything like that, but it's certainly an interesting direction where we're used to seeing TV where everybody has makeup on all the time and looks the absolute best that they can look all the time. So, yeah, no, I actually think this is a very well written show. Um, yeah. Boobs aside, but uh, I'm probably about where you are. I don't think I'm very far into season two. Yeah. So anyway, um, there's a digression for you. Yeah. Um, um so Jessica Jones anything else on Jessica Jones no uh, read the article though because if you don't know who she is check it out um those of you who have a marginal idea who she is is probably because you read Civil War and she's featured in part of Civil War Mm -hmm. um but uh other Marvel news we do not really news actually um I wanted to talk a little bit uh with Eddie about the Hulk and where we think he's going because we haven't really addressed the giant Hulk in the room since Age of Ultron yeah um i think we talked about this a tiny tiny little bit so at the end of age of ultron uh the hulk is just sort of walking off into the sunset trying to hide from everybody after you know having some brief romance with uh um black my, Widow. with my my other girlfriend yeah yeah scarlet scarlet hi yeah um <laughs> So anyway, go go ahead, open us up on this one because okay. I, I'm interested to see where you go. Um, so I I don't I couldn't find the link to the article that I read, but I did read an article that talked about Ruffalo um, commenting that he's not going to be in Civil War, which um, apparently he was written into it in the original script, um, which I'm kind of glad he's not because if you ever read Civil War. It takes place at the exact same time as Planet Hulk. So, um, in fact, the Civil War and the Planet Hulk series both start off with the uh, Marvel Illuminati issue number one. Because it leads into both of those storylines. Um, so, the fact that they were originally going to write him in, I think, wouldn't have made sense. And I think it would have made it a much harder story to tell when you have something as powerful as the Hulk to deal with. Um, especially considering um, what happens with Thor in in that movie, which I don't think we're going to see because it's not really Thor. But mm-hmm. um, it but it, it kind of begs the question: Where is Hulk, and where are we going to see him next? Yeah, so um, it's been a bit of a question mark in my mind if we're ever going to see something like Planet Hulk, because um, of course, the it, you know from a Hollywood standpoint, Planet Hulk is entire. I mean, the the movie would be entirely CG, like. It'd entirely be mocap from if any if mocap at all, but it would entirely be mocap from um, uh, Ruffalo, um, because Planet Hulk is you know almost exclusively he's not Hulk. Banner at all. Yeah, yeah he's not Banner. Um, second, the Hulk that we've seen so far um, is the very uncontrolled. Uh, um, I think the Hulk speaks like three words since we've seen him on screen so far, and if it's not three, it's less than ten for sure. Um, yeah. So that that's very different than the Planet Hulk, I think, that uh, uh, Hulk that we see. So that said, I really want to see another chance for the Hulk to, you know, just do awesome shit. Like the, the Hulk to me is sort of the popcorn blockbustery type of uh, superhero. Um, there's, you know, there, first off, there is depth to the Hulk, but he seems to lend himself best to the just sort of big smash em breakup movies so. yeah and i think i think the most important lesson that we've learned is um the hulk is more than cgi and giant poodles yeah angley talking to you buddy <laughs> fuck you, that movie you, anyway you can actually show the hulk in the first five 45 minutes of a hulk movie dude was he it, it was an hour and a half at least <laughs> i don't know it certainly felt like it 
I was I was still married to my ex-wife at the time, and we went and saw that movie together. And I, I remember specifically, like, I leaned over about an hour in. I was like, he is at some point going to be the Hulk, correct? Maybe. Like, mm. and I didn't think Banna did a terrible job, but I don't think he did a great job either. It was just one of those. It's another movie that, um, I don't know, direction and writing probably killed the actors and actresses in that movie. didn't really bother me as much. Um, um, Jennifer Connelly. She was good. I yeah, mean, she doesn't bother me in anything ever. No, uh, but the the um, pacing was just incredibly off. It's what happens when you make a movie without understanding the source material. I think. Yeah, a little bit. Like that, they didn't make that movie to do comic books justice. They made that movie to make a couple box box office. Yeah, which I think is about what it did internationally. Was not a big deal. So, um, not really a lot of discussion to be had because we don't actually have any like articles or anything just there's no rumor yeah yeah but i i I have heard rumor that he may pop up in the next guardians movie see i I would be really excited to see him in something like a guardians movie but if they're gonna do that to me it opens it opens the door to something like a planet hulk movie i think and and this is if it was me the way i would do that is i would actually have them encounter him post planet hulk and the planet hulk story could be told through a couple flashbacks and whatnot yeah, um, that's actually a solid idea. You can't tell that story in a movie anyway. It's like what they did with the first Green Lantern movie. Like, you can't do that much. Because Planet Hulk was a series of, I think, three or four separate stories that were all put into one one volume, mm-hmm. um, essentially. So it you can't do it. I mean, there's just too much. Yeah, it, first off, I've been wrong before, but it, it seems like it's not really as suitable for Hollywood type of story. Um, that said, it, it, I would love to even see a Hulk sequel. Like, I really think the Hulk and, and Ruffalo um, deserve more screen time. So, my understanding of the of the Hulk thing is as well is that Marvel Studios does not actually have one hundred percent exclusive ownership of that property. Uh, I think Universal still holds. Who did? Um, who's in? Who is responsible for Ang Lee's Hulk? Universal. Universal. Yeah, that could that could very well explain it. Though. So. Or maybe they're lessening the screen time because they have to pay giant royalties on yeah. everything to Universal. So I'm, I'm not sure how much we can do um, as far as that goes. But it, it'll be interesting. Um, it, it certainly will be interesting to see the, the dynamic that we have with Spider-Man now that it's a, a joint operation between Marvel and, and Sony. Um, and maybe Universal can take a cue from it if, it, if it's a positive thing and, and go that direction. So Which it, it really kind of seems... Um, like, again, I, I've been wrong before. I've been hurt before. But um, I really can't see how it doesn't end up being a positive for um, Sony and, and the whole Spider-Man thing. Because Sony's problem is not that they're not putting enough money or effort behind it. It's that they don't really know how to tell a good story. Like, they don't know how to do a good comic book story. And uh, Marvel does that shit in spades. Like I, I enjoyed The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I mostly enjoyed... Amazing Spider-Man 2. I didn't like it as much as I liked the first one. I actually just watched the first one the other day um, for the first time in a long time. And the dynamic between Dennis Leary and Peter Parker was, I thought, excellent. I really liked, um, what's his name, as uh, uh, Yvonne Reese as uh, the lizard. Yeah, he was good. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I, uh... I liked it, but there was a little part of me too that like thinks that I just keep waiting to see them really get Peter Parker right. 
like uh toby's peter parker was too whiny um and this peter parker not not quite whiny enough yeah maybe or just a little bit too cool like he he wasn't like the nerd he was like just the you know slightly outcast you know yeah i think we've talked um, about this before smooth, though. he was kind of smooth as shit actually when it came down to it like well i i think we talked about this a little bit and that is that nerd is the new cool yeah and so i think they kind of embraced that and, and went with it because this, this this was a modern day yeah. spider-man story yeah. so i mean you can't be like that guy's stupid because he's a nerd because nobody nobody does that anymore you know what i mean yeah, if anything, they would mock you because you're not nerdy enough. He only knows three programming languages. This is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Um, it, I, I'm excited to see where they go with the new kid. Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, me either. Holland. Tom Holland? It sounds correct. Yeah, I want to Could be wrong. Um, that guy's sitting at home like, God damn it, I've been Spider-Man for like six weeks now. Right. I can't get my name straight. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so um, that's about all the Marvel talk we have. Um, we have some super, super exciting news, though. Um, I, on we, we posted a, a link, or we'll post a link uh, to the... Uh, there's a trailer for a new documentary that's covering uh, the Back to the Future trilogy, which I actually haven't watched yet, but um, I'm really excited because we're almost there. We are almost to the future. No, we're in the future. No. It's the future. 2015 is the future. Yeah, but we're not there yet because they went in October. Oh, okay. Good point. So, yeah. um, which, you which speaking a month of... to get hoverboards together, get your shit together. Speaking of October, Science. speaking of October, we have a new Back to the Future Blu-ray set coming out. It's $88 and some change. It has not only all three movies, but it has the entire Back to the Future animated series included as well. And nice. the limited edition packaging, it comes in a flux capacitor. Dude. So. I'd almost buy it just for the flux. Like, We're, uh, we're going to... We're going we're gonna to actually uh, post a, an Amazon link on our site. And uh, if you if you choose to buy it, click our link first, and then we get some money too. Yeah, that is so fucking cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I really want that. You didn't look at this link? No. Um, I you know, like always, I've done my homework in that I looked at the show notes maybe about five minutes before we hit the record button. <laughs> yeah. So, so definitely, I need that. Yeah. Um, I'm not really into buying packaged shit anymore but uh i have no idea how to get back to where we were yeah just be one of these guys oh i'm i'm using an ipad for the first time like in history so (laughs) you know what's funny actually okay here here we're gonna go off a huge tangent so i'm the resident apple fanboy between the two of us um i use an iphone i have an ipad that's my primary mobile computer um i do use a desktop pc because it turns out macs are still shit for gaming uh you can play games on Max, and if you want to throw a bajillion dollars, you can get, you know, medium to medium high settings on a Mac. Uh, so I, I don't do that. I built my own PC because I want to play games, and that seems like the easier way to go about it. Um, but in news this week, um, Apple held their their fall event where they announced a few different things. One of them was the iPad Pro, and I got to say, it was the best advertisement for the Surface I've ever seen. <laughs> Is it all thick and bulky and 
stupid looking like well first off the ipad pro is um no uh first off the one thing that apple does i said first off like eight times one of the things that apple does brilliantly and i still believe does better than anybody else is the physical form factor um my ipad is the nicest tablet it just hardware aside don't even turn the thing on just pick it up hold it look at the thing the ipad the iphone generally speaking are the nicest piece of hardware that i've come across um, the iphone is becoming a little bit less so just because a lot of the other android manufacturers are stepping up their game like the uh, htc m9 i want to say is the thing i'm thinking of is a really nice piece of kit um you know if, you, if you're in android that's probably one of the ones that i would think of would be a good a good choice but anyway generally speaking they do a really good job with the hardware um, thing about the iPad Pro though is that it's trying, in my opinion, to capture a different market that uh, it just can't quite hit given the limitations of iOS. So I use an iPad um, almost exclusively as my mobile computer type thing. Um, and that said, it's not like I'm really using that only as my mobile computing device because I do have access to computers at work all day and stuff like that. So usually though, when I'm out and about and stuff like that, I carry an iPad and I've got a keyboard in my bag. Um, but it feels like whenever I try to do anything serious on it, like I'm kind of tricking it into doing what I want. Um, whereas when you use something like a Surface, um, you can use sort of the tablet style Metro interface if you choose, or if you want, you can just run PC apps um, because it, that's all it is. It's just a PC and a tablet form factor that you can attach a keyboard to and use a pen thing with. So um, the iPad Pro big announcement was they announced a pencil which to me looks like a really very accurate version of a stylus, which is cool in itself. And it does really good things about like weighting and, and shading and stuff like that. So if you're a digital artist, maybe the iPad Pro is super interesting to you. Um, they also announced a really expensive, I think $169 keyboard cover, which god damn. I mean, like um, my, my wife like was ready to like castrate me when I bought a $100 full mechanical keyboard, which... Um, I freaking love, but um, $169 for a keyboard cover seems a little excessive to me. And then there's the whole thing that you... You're, you're talking to the guy with a hard drive full of helium. Yeah. We'll come back to that, too. Uh, we, <laughs> so anyway, you're, you're buying an iPad Pro. It runs you right about $800 for the hardware, the the, the you know the screen hard, iPad tablet thingy itself. Another $100 for the stylus thing. Another $169 for the um keyboard thing so you're you know over a thousand bucks for a tablet setup and then you still can't plug in a fucking usb drive and so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna come to the defense of apple here on, on one thing too and that is because people listening to this will probably no doubt have seen some of the shit talking that's already happened since they announced the apple pencil um, oh yeah and, and that is that is apple was one of the first companies to come out and completely fucking slam samsung for their um stylus that they were giving out with what what other phones not giving out they sell they sold them no That's, go go what? back go back even further the thing that they're quoting actually is steve jobs talking about pointing devices in 2006 right when they first announced the iphone and and steve jobs basically saying that every smartphone coming with a stylus is bullshit and the best stylus is attached to your nubbin of a you know piece of meat at the end of your arm so yeah um but to be fair apple is not marketing the apple pencil for use on phones, they it's no. specifically marketed to make use of your iPads a little bit better, yeah. and that makes sense on a, on a larger screen. It makes for a good joke, actually. One of the things that I said when I saw this was, 
well, what took you so long? Like I've been, um, since the, I've had, I had the original iPad, um, probably six or eight months after it came out. And, uh, one of the first things I wanted to do was just be able to take notes on the damn thing. All I wanted to do was be able to scribble my shitty handwriting and have it turn into real words, you know, real text on a screen, because there's a lot of cases where it's just easier to hand write, you know, use regular handwriting. Or when you just want to circle something on a PDF, um, this is, this is proof that we've not evolved. We've revolved. Yeah. Because we went from writing on pen and paper to typing everything to now, once again, we're like, can I just write this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what would be great? A computer that I can write on. It gets even funnier because this is sort of the tablet vision that Microsoft had, you know, 2000, year 2000, when we were talking yeah, about they tablets. They laughed then. out of the, yeah. the CES. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Did anyway. CES exists back then? I don't know. Whatever it was, trade shows. I mean, I'm yeah. sure there were trade shows. Meanwhile, some guy sitting at home like, oh, I went to all that shit. It's not that long it's ago. It's real, motherfuckers! Um, uh, so, it was kind of a funny announcement to me because, you know, I've been kind of on the fence anyway because one of the things that frustrates me pretty quickly about the iPad is that um, it's really, really great for basic tasks. Like, if you want to just create Word documents, just surf the internet, if you want to do any of that shit, like, it's really good for that stuff. Um, reading comics is like one of my favorite things to do. And I'm, I'm super happy that the iPad and tablet form factors exist because reading comics on, on a tablet is just a no brainer. But, um, when you're talking about a pro device that, you know, is going to run you a thousand dollars for all the accessories and shit like that, it's really disappointing to hear that, you know, you still have no meaningful file manager. You still have no meaningful way to plug in any sort of, um, peripheral, you, you know, no, and if you're going to spend $1,000, just get a laptop, and you can get an MSI gaming laptop for under $1,000. Yeah. I, I mean, there's certain things to be said about form factor there. Like, one of the things that, like, if uh, the toss-up for me lately is whether or not my next, next computing device is going to be a Surface, especially with the impending Surface, Port, Surface Pro 4 release coming up. Um, I'd really like to see the surface get thinner and lighter. Like this is again, another thing that Apple does in spades and they probably can do it a little bit easier than Microsoft can because Microsoft's using Intel, uh, um, I, I series chips in it versus Apple using their own custom Silicon, which is arm based and quite a lot easier on battery life, um, fans, etc. Um, so they don't, they just don't have to cram, cram as much heavy shit in there as Microsoft does. But, um, yeah. have you noticed the surface gets more expensive with every incarnation? Well, we'll see, but yeah. I mean, they, the Surface Pro three with an i five or an i seven, it's going to run you eight hundred to a thousand easy anyway. Like it's... that's with the i five. I was just looking at this actually. The Surface Pro three i five, I think, starts out at um, eight hundred bucks with sixty four gigs uh, of storage. Which for me, that's probably fine. Like I could get by just fine on my mobile device with sixty four gigs. But also keep in mind that I support that by having basically all my shit on my own home server which if i want access to i just vpn into and do not really a practical solution for most people probably but that's what i do and that's perfectly fine does does the uh service pro 4 is it gonna is it gonna run on the skylake yeah, yeah i have no idea um i, I think still so far the skylake. i haven't built one yet yeah so far i think the um surface pro 4 is basically just rumor i think probably people some some people more that probably fo follow microsoft closely more closely than i do have a good idea what the surface pro 4 is going to look like but to me it's a complete crapshoot but to me i think they just need to um focus a little bit more on the physical form factor so if they can get skylake and reduce um um or 
shave off some of the weight, you know, through battery savings and stuff like that, make it a little bit thinner, then it's really got a great tablet form factor. Skylakes are lower power consumption than the previous iSeries yeah. processors, yeah, so it's good. Good, it's a good bet if they use the Skylake, they could trim some of the fat, so to speak. So, so what I'm wondering is, um, Skylakes obviously been in the pipe for a while, um, but so is the Surface, and so what I'm thinking is whatever decisions they had to make about what uh, the physical form factor and stuff like that looks like, it's probably been made for six months. So um, that said, Microsoft probably knew about Skylake and shit like that happening before the general public received word and uh, new projected release dates and stuff like that. So it is possible we see a surface with Skylake in it, um, which I think, like I said, could do a lot for the physical, the physical side of it, which uh, is pretty good. So here's, here's the shitty business side of that though. So Broadwell processors, uh, were supposed to come out last year. They mm -hmm. didn't because they had problems with the architecture and actually getting to function properly. Mm -hmm. um, they never did do any Broadwell desktop-based processors. All of the Broadwell processors are mobile. So there's a possibility they could be throwing everything that they have Broadwell into everything that's going to be mobile and the Surface Pro 3 will be Broadwell and not Skylake, which... No clue. Um, my understanding is that, though, that they will be like starting this... Right now, Q3 is when they're supposed to, we're supposed to start seeing laptop prices kind of bottom out for a while because of the Broadwell situation. They got so many of these processors because they've released two separate processor models in the same year now. Mm -hmm. So they're going to liquidate the Broadwells and get them out of there as fast as they can. See, that could be, but I kind of think that um, Microsoft, and especially Microsoft being a, very much an underdog, it behooves them to not just go with whatever the bargain they're not though. I mean, they're not the underdog in terms of, of overall business. There's yeah, but when you talk about stuff like the Surface, like um, it, the the thing you said a second ago, um, put this thought in my head. You said the Surface keeps getting more expensive, and I think for a product like the Surface, that's probably not the worst thing because the people that are going to buy the Surface are the hardcore business users, and who who's buying the shit for the hardcore business users? Their companies, which mean, and that's Microsoft's bread and butter right there. Not yeah. necessarily selling to individuals, but selling to big, large corporations. Um, so if they had a device like that that was, was say, a thousand dollars, but was really the only thing on the market that can do all of this type of stuff, which um, you know, especially with the iPad Pro announcement, it really remains like the only real credible competitor here in that space. Um, I could see that being a thing. Um, the other thing I'm not quite sure why we haven't seen more of, and, and this is something that Microsoft should fear a little bit, is Apple's really kind of been eating uh, um, Microsoft's lunch in the traditional sort of vertical market sphere. Like, you're seeing iPads and shit like that in hospitals and, and you know, businessy types of situations. And um, I think the Surface Pro is probably a... a um, Try to trying to get a foot back in that door because those have typically been markets where Microsoft is um, sort of king, well, pocket PC like, and shit like that. And it seems like a no brainer to me to throw a ARM processor in a chassis the size of an iPad and give it some functionality. I mean, you can run Windows on it. It's not like it's. I well, mean, see, we're we're not going to the fucking moon again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you you could do it. They just haven't for whatever reason, and they they put all their eggs in the surface basket for whatever reason. I don't know. But I think I can answer that one actually because um, there's a big problem. So this is another rumor for um, some of you. If you follow any of the Apple shit, um, if this this is probably uh, stuff you've already heard. If you don't, though, this is a a um, 
been a common theory for a while, which is um, we've already seen this with the Apple universe in uh, 2000-ish. Apple was running PowerPC chips uh, made by Motorola. And then at one point they switched over to the Intel chips. Yeah, they're running it. They've been running Intel since I think oh six. Yeah, somewhere in that range, oh five or oh six. So anyway, they switched over to Intel, and that was an interesting time because it, there's there's a lot of things about that. Um, number one, when they switched over to Intel, they gained massive amounts of computing power that the PowerPC chips were, just weren't capable of. Um, so what that, that allowed them to do effectively was um, you have to also understand. Um, most of you nerds probably already know this, but Moving chip architecture is not as simple as it sounds. Um, you need to recompile all your programs and in some cases rebuild a lot of your programs to actually work with the chip architecture that you're compiling against. So for example, you can't just throw Windows on ARM. Um, ARM uh, Windows needs to be tweaked and recompiled for ARM chips, which again, Microsoft's already done. Can't just throw Office on ARM chips. It has to be tweaked and recompiled to run on ARM chips. Um, which again, Microsoft has already done. Microsoft, the um, you know giant behemoth of a company, is not necessarily that problem. The problem is they've got to convince all of the developers, some of whom do not actively update their apps or aren't even in business anymore. Um, they've got to convince all of those people to recompile and support two different um, CPU architectures, essentially, if they want to have uh, ARM and Windows traction take place, which we've already seen a little bit of them attempting to do that because the Surface uh, NEA Pro was an ARM-based Windows RT uh, variant, which was to say that you got the Windows Store apps and, and it tanked. It tanked horribly. Well, it confused the fuck out of everybody. Yeah. They're like, why can't I run Office on this? The Office that I already own. Right. That is not, I mean, it would run Office, but it, it ran Office RT. Yeah. Precisely. So this has been talks in the Apple camp for a while because Apple's at this um, sort of juncture where um, the one thing that's really interesting about the Surface Pro to me is the technology that's inside of it. Uh, the Apple A9X chip, which is an ARM-based chip, and it's running 4 gigs of RAM, um, which in a tablet is uh, gigantic. Um, there are some Android-based tablets that run 4 gigs of RAM, but the thing about running 4 gigs in an Apple tablet is the previous highest ram device in the apple world was two um and two gigs of ram on an apple device is a lot because um apple actually does a really good job of optimizing for ram usage and things like that um and the a9x chip uh does do a lot of things really really well namely uh power consumption when compared to any of the intel chips um cost just sheer cost it's cheaper to build arm chips and then it doesn't come with all of the baggage that um intel's um, X, X60 or X86, uh, uh, 64, um, architectures and chipset and instruction sets come with. So there's a lot of benefits to moving for, to ARM, but then Apple faces the same exact problem, which is how do we get all these developers to move all of their shit over to this ARM, uh, um, architecture? Didn't the 5S come with a 64-bit chip? Yeah. Um, the 5S is, is one of the first 64-bit mobile chips, and I think, there's a couple of Android manufacturers that have moved to 64-bit too. Um, and at the time, it was almost, depending on which side you were on, so a lot of people were like, oh, they, they could do 64-bit and it's not really going to be a lot more overhead and uh, they're going to need that in five years, so why not do it now? And there were a couple that said it's purely marketing and why would they bother moving to 64-bit? Uh, um, especially when they're only running one or two gigs of RAM per device. Android runs 
on 64-bit like shit. Yeah. As, as is. I mean, well, and granted, my phone's almost two years old now. I haven't actually experienced uh, that. I haven't experienced 64-bit Android recently. Yeah. But I've, I've, in the past, I've not had good luck with it. So, I mean, we'll see, I guess. Well, I mean, this is something, this is another interesting thing. Like, we've already gone this direction. Like, we've already seen this happen in the PC industry where everybody has to paint and fully transition over to 64-bit. One of the things that I'll say is that the juxtaposition between the Apple world transitioning to 64-bit and the Microsoft world transitioning to 64-bit is night and day. Like, in Apple, um, all the Apple stuff was basically like, well, everything's 64-bit now, and fuck you if you don't like it. And... It worked out really well, and as soon as they transitioned over, you saw, saw a lot of um, improvements in stability, performance, etc., and so on. And still, um, I'm not sure if it happens a lot, but I know as recently as a year or two ago, it was fairly normal that you could just walk into the store and buy 32-bit Windows machines. I don't know if as many of them come with 32-bit anymore, but I know that it's still really ridiculous easy to just go and... Yeah. Buy a 32-bit OS. Yeah. I mean, so... You can get 32-bit OSs really easily, and there's not really a lot of expectation in the Windows world that you're going to have a 64-bit binary. In fact, um, a retail copy of Windows actually comes with both 32 and 64 in the package. Yeah. Uh, if you buy OEM software, you have to specify, but... Yeah. But in the Apple world, it's kind of like, well, you're going to make your shit 64-bit now, unless you're Adobe, um, which, you know, at, at Adobe's size or something like that, they can do what they want, but... They even have a little bit of incentive to move to 64-bit because Adobe type of software with their gigantic uh, um, RAM usages and stuff Jesus like that Christ. can um, benefit from having 64-bit. But it's just interesting to see. Um, it's it, Windows, I think, the Windows Microsoft uh, six, uh, uh, world has not entirely moved over to 64-bit, whereas Apple's been 64-bit everything for like... Four or five years now. Yeah, there's there's still people holding on to the the 32 bit for whatever reason. I don't know, but they don't. Want, well, they don't want more than 3.75 gigs of RAM. I guess are some small arguments to me, made. like if um this and this is another thing that's sort of very different when the from the Apple's and Windows worlds is that in Windows there are there are a lot of companies that just will not give up a piece of software, um for whatever reason, and so they need to have a 32 bit compatible uh, um where they need to have 32 bit uh, um applications and so on and so forth but again you can run that on 64-bit os usually so yeah um, everybody's hung up on being able to use their pirated copy of autocad from 1997 correct so yeah so we anyway. should we should get more beer and then we'll talk about helium filled hard drives cool so if you came to the show for comic book and movie news this is not your week <laughs> Um, we just kind of have some nerd shit to talk about, and it's that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mentioned a helium-filled hard drive, and I am, in fact, not shitting you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's legit. I, I, I can see it with my own two eyes right now. HGST, um, in 2013, actually developed it. Um, they are not cheap. Um, but the reason they did it is because we were kind of topped out at four terabytes for the size you could put in a three and a half inch drive. Um, then that's because the amount of platters required, um, the amount of space it takes up in the physical drive itself. And the fact that, um, air is, um, air kind of fucks up those platters over, over time as they spin and spin and spin. Um, so what HGST did was they developed a hermetically sealed hard drive that, uh, 
they basically instead of using air inside of it they use helium um helium actually helps the platters move because it's like i don't know way less dense than air um so they can actually um afford to use take up a little bit more space in the physical drive itself um for the platters and whatnot so um looking at a six terabyte drive and apparently they now have a 10 terabyte drive as well that's also helium filled so um but just to warn you guys again it's not cheap we'll we'll see if we can find one on amazon to put up a link to um, in case you do want to spend um several hundred dollars on a hard drive um but the six terabyte model is going to run you a minimum 500. well i don't know um it depends on which drive you're looking at i was just reading um because i just googled because I, th I think right now our current max is like eight um it might be 10 but i think our current maximum well, first off, there's probably a 10 terabyte drive that exists somewhere, and it's probably like, you know, $14,000 or some ridiculous shit like that. But uh, the current max, I think, that's kind of like commercially available is eight. Um, and that's a really expensive drive. But I was just reading this article from um, last year that was saying uh, the biggest hard drive available at the time was six terabytes, and it was going to run you upwards of 300 bucks. So you might be looking at as little as 300. You more likely are looking at probably something for like 400 or 500 for a mid-range drive. Like whatever I'm, I'm picturing the the cheap side of this, like $350 for whatever the equivalent of like a uh, WD Green is, um, which we were discussing before the podcast is kind of a shit drive. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, if they were, if they were any cheaper... Um, Honestly, though, we would probably take it apart and see if we could suck the helium in and talk yeah. like chipmunks. But with it, yeah. <laughs> but that's um, not going to happen with this one. Yeah. So we were talking about this um, a little bit before the podcast, mainly in reference to my envy, because um, one of my projects lately has been trying to figure out how to get more drive space in my server. So uh, I decided I wanted to move to a rack setup a couple of years ago. Um, so one of the first things I did was go out and take my previously. Um, just regular old tower PC case and try to go find a rack case for it. And I did, and I bought one off of Craigslist, and it was like 50 bucks. And it's like the worst fucking case I've ever dealt with. Um, for example, if you want to take anything out of this case, like, uh, say, a hard drive, you have to first remove the whole drive cage, which in this case, the drive cage, there's three of them in the case that hold three drives each. But if you want to take out one of the drives, you cannot simply, like any other case, you know, just pull out one drive. You have to pull the cage and then unscrew the drive that you want. And the cage is in there in, like, the tiniest little spaces that human fingers can fit. So anyway, that thing sucks. So my project lately has been trying to figure out a better way to... And secondly, I'm running out of space in the case and I'm running out of SATA ports and practical ways to add more SATA ports because this is all based off of an old Sempron machine that I bought probably seven years ago at this point um at, and at that point it was needs to be a file server needs to be reasonably low power so that worked out just fine at the time but now we're you know six or seven years on and it's showing its age so um the next thing i'm trying to do now is find a decent raid card to go in, in my um uh single u server which itself is a challenge um that fits on a PCI riser card. Um, so got to find a raid card and then an enclosure that works pretty well, which um, have, have you ever looked at like raid cards and JVOD setups, JVOD? Yeah. I actually might have one that you can borrow. Really? Yeah. Cool. 
So um, there's a, the, the card itself, it doesn't seem like to be the sticking point. What for me is the sticking point is finding a decent uh, enclosure. Um, the one that I found right now is the Rackable SE 3016 um, And that's a pretty popular card amongst enthusiasts, uh, or I'm sorry, enclosure amongst enthusiasts. And it's a 16 bay thing, but it's limited to three gigabytes uh, per second at this point. So, and I'm not sure, I know it'll support at least three terabytes and four terabyte drives, but I'm not sure it's gonna get any bigger than that. So, anywho, those are my woes for the week. Um, after I finally got my server working again, this is why I'm behind on so many shows. Um, this is sort of an aside. One of the other things that's driving me to look for this is um, my server that I'm talking about now sort of shit the bed in the last couple of weeks. So I added my um, SATA card expander so I can get some more drives in there and plugged it back in, fired it up, all excited to get it running, and the power supply died. So knowing that I'm going to upgrade soon, I went into Craigslist, found a new power supply, installed it, realized this is an old as shit power supply, had to buy a bunch of adapters to make it work, you know, the whole 20-pin uh, rail versus the common 24 today. doesn't have enough SATA, uh, um, didn't have any SATA, actually, power, power connectors in it. Um, had to get a P4 extension because of the stupid fucking case. So... Here we are. I'm finally caught up. My server works, and hopefully by this time next week, I'll have seen the two episodes of Fear the Walking Dead that Matt's already seen. That I and Mad Max, you son of a bitch. Mad Max. God, I'm dying to watch that movie. I really... Ashley we, I, we were going to talk about the, that tonight, um, but apparently it would just be me talking and ruining the movie for Eddie, so I'm not going to do that. But Yeah, sorry. That's like on the top of my two watch list. Um, I really, really... So Ashley and I haven't had any sort of time by ourselves in like the last, I don't know, six months or something like that because we have lots of kids. I work. She, um, you know, babysits all day. Um, she basically does child care um, for friends and family and stuff like that to make a little extra scratch. So... We haven't really had any time, and I tried to convince her the other day when we finally got like a whole day where we could go out just be grown ups to to go see Mad Max and IMAX, and she was like, "Oh, that's not really a good date movie." It's like, but babe, big explodey cars, and ah. So anyway, she just wanted to fuck like bunnies, and you so wanted to watch Mad Max, which has to do with hot chicks. You know, that was actually not as big of a selling point as I thought it might be for her. True, true. Um, this is something that won't ruin the story for you at all. Um, and, and other nerds may know this, but I was very interested when I found this out. So, the big bad in Mad Max Fury Road is actually played by the same guy that played the bad guy in the original Mad Max. No shit. Yeah, not the same character. Just played by the same actor. Just played by the same actor. That's a hell of an Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's been the bad guy in two Mad Max movies, which is kind of cool. So, ha- have you seen all of the Mad Max movies? Unfortunately, previous to this, yeah. yeah. Um, I really think so. First off, there's the first Mad Max, and that's not the Mad Max you know. If you're listening to this and you don't have a whole lot of familiarity with Mad Max, the it, first Mad Max movie is not very the low Mad budget. Max. Yeah, filmed in Australia, like completely. Yeah, um, it's where Mel Gibson got his big break, which I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, um, I I vaguely recall being just kind of bored with the movie. Like it wasn't like a bad like oh my god. This there's is a terrible. lot of loud noises and just unnecessary bullshit in that movie. But it also felt to me like it didn't quite get the atmosphere of the Mad Max movie that you got from 
the second Mad Max movie, which no, and is I, the movie you're thinking about. I think Mad Max actually kind of takes place before whatever happened. Yeah, it does. So it it, but it's it's got it's got awful in some places. I mean, it's you should watch it if for nothing else, continuity's sake. Like you should just watch it and be like, oh, this is what spawned this, and then watch watch the Road Warrior. Um, the Road Warrior is definitely the Mad Max you're thinking of. When wipe you're your about- ass with Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. I hate that fucking movie, too. That one... Like, I don't hate the first Mad Max, even though the cinematography is terrible and the acting is terrible and, <laughs> like, the effects are, in general, just bad. It's still a decent story. Like, it tells the story of, of how Max became Mad Max. Yeah. Um, The Road Warrior is fucking amazing. Like, it's one of the best movies. Oh, yeah. Road Warrior, no question, stands up to this day. You can go watch Road Warrior, and I think that's an enjoyable movie. Yeah. And, in fact, if you're going to go do any sort of homework before you go see Fury Road, um, I would say watch Road Warrior. You that's the skip. only one you probably need to watch. Yeah. You can skip the other two, but... Uh, Quite a lot of Road Warrior um, sort of informs the rest of the genre at this point. Like if you're talking about post-apoc movies, uh, um, a lot of the aesthetic in Matt, um, Road Warrior shows up all over the place in other post-apoc sorts of settings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you watch the Road Warrior and be, and and then you think to yourself, man, what if this was on water? Then you just go watch Waterworld with Kevin Costner, and it's Boom, almost the same <laughs> movie, um, which. That being said, I liked Waterworld because I'm such a big fan of the Road Warrior. I thought Waterworld was was cool. It's so got just I. enough camp in there just to make me laugh sometimes. Even at the parts that were completely retarded, I still um, like Waterworld. I wish I, I maybe it's like a disease. Do you think there's like a support group we could go to and be like, yeah, no, we really like this, even though we know it's wrong. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I can live with that disease. Um, I also like the Postman too. Did you ever see the Postman? Actually, um, I own that on Blu-ray. My um, my buddy Bryce, who was here last week, who did the show with us last week, he actually brought over uh, Fury Road, and we watched that while um, like we just we we sat down and watched it because I hadn't seen it yet, so we didn't really do anything else. And then um, we started playing uh, some board games later on, um, which Seven Wonders. If you guys get a chance to go to your local game shop and pick up that board game. Yeah, it might be kind of spendy because some of the board games are, but Seven Wonders is actually kind of a cool game. Um, you basically are trying to build one of the Seven Wonders of the world, um, but it's also a game where you are trying to amass points and beat your opponents and whatnot, and it was fun. But um, I was in kind of a post-Apoc mood after watching oh, Mad Max, and so I put in The Postman, and everybody in the house was like, oh my god, I haven't seen this forever. This is a cool movie. Like, yeah. like that doesn't happen except for in this house. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're correct. But uh, yeah, uh, that that that's a really good movie. And another like people are just like, oh, everything Costner makes is stupid. No, it's just he's done a couple things that weren't that good. But yeah, um, Costner I think gets a bad rap. Like there's been a first off, uh, well that's only partially true. Like um, one of the things uh, Costner's not to me. He doesn't strike me as like a great actor. Uh, as long as he's not trying to do a fucking English accent and be Robin Hood, I'm fine. <laughs> See, but that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like, I know. Um, that's what everybody thinks. Robin Hood, I mean, like, if you just think about Kevin Costner, like, he doesn't really play a different... Like, he's a little one-dimensional. Before I run you through. Yeah. It, and that was a better accent than his, but... Yeah. <laughs> Which is saying something. Um, anyway, he doesn't strike me as a great actor, but anyway, that that's a digression. Um... I, I friggin' love post-apoc. 
Like, I love that whole genre. Like, I love playing Fallout. Um, if you really want a kick in the head, go check out A Boy and His Dog. I think that's a 1978 movie uh, featuring our boy from Miami Vice. Don Johnson? Don Johnson, correct. Um, and that is... Did he wear socks? I don't remember. It was the post-apocalypse, so maybe no socks. I don't know. But anyway, go check out that movie because that really informs a lot of the look and feel of the Fallout game series. So if you're a fan of Fallout, you should go check out A Boy and His Dog. Um, But I love that sort of genre of films. Um, I love that feeling. Like Road Warrior does it. I think Waterworld does it. Um, Postman is another movie, you know, like we already mentioned, that that does that, that sort of genre really well. Um, it's one of the things I love about watching The Walking Dead. Like, I don't know what it is about me, but I love to see society just fucking crumble. Um, I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, but I want everybody to take a step back, and I want you to realize that he set me up with the our boy from Miami Vice, and I said the correct answer, which was Don Johnson. If you said Colin Farrell, fuck you. Yeah, I knew you would, too. Like, I knew you would. That was not question. <laughs> um... So anyway, um, no, the reason why The Walking Dead is is such a good post-apoc story is because it isn't about the post-apocalyptic event. It's not about the zombies. It's not about any of that. It's about what be, what humans become when everything that we know is stripped away from us and we are left with being See, just humans. And again. I think that's a core element if you're talking about post-apoc fiction in general. I think that's a core element. You know, another thing... Another great post-apoc movie that I don't know if I can ever watch again, The Road. Have you seen The Road? I've not. You've recommended it a couple times, and I... I... you got to watch it. Um, it's kind of depressing as shit, but it's... Well, oh, you have access to my NAS. Put it on there. Yeah. It's a wonderful... Um, <laughs> Legally, of course. Yeah. Because I ripped it from the DVDs I own. Um, <laughs> actually, no. I think I watched that one on Netflix or something when it was on there briefly, but I can't recall for sure. Anyway, The Road is a very, very good movie, um, and it's along those lines, um, sort of, you know, what humanity becomes after the apocalypse, um, or something like that happens, and, and I, I just really love that whole thing. Um, plus, I also like to see the whole, um, like, society's crumbled and sort of what things hold over. Like, I do like post-apoc fiction a little bit into the future, not necessarily immediately following the apocalypse. But, like, it'll be interesting to me to see, like, if you were to watch The Walking Dead, say, a hundred years from now, what does The Walking Dead universe look like a hundred years from now? What do they remember from civilization? Um, Which, you know, just taking a gamble here, but I'm assuming that in The Walking Dead universe, a hundred years from now is not going to be a sort of resurgence of the civilization that we know and love today. But, you know, what does civilization look like a hundred years from now in the post-apoc world? So... Yeah, I, I love that that whole aspect of things. I, I think I I think that's one of the elements that should be a core in in a post apoc movie, but we don't see it addressed a lot of the time. That's what I like about The Walking Dead, especially in the comic books. I mean, more so in the comic books than anything else, because you actually get to know the characters really well um, by by reading the dialogue and and whatnot. And the Walking Dead comic book is not like a comic book that has like a square box at the top of the uh, the picture that actually sets the scene for you. Like it just is dialogue yeah, and black and white pictures. And so you, you really, you have to understand the content that you're reading for the stories to make sense. And it, it describes the human condition a little bit more distinctly than a lot of post-apoc movies do. Like the Mad Max series, like, and, and I've watched that series since I was a kid 
but you didn't really get like a good feel for Max's mental yeah. status until Fury Road. Like in Fury Road, you actually really get to tell like he's fucked up, like kind of bad. And yeah, can't shut up. Um, no, I'm, I'm not. That's, <laughs> well, but no, I like you have to you know kinda that. You kind of have to be. In, like, but, this is another thing that I like about that whole genre is you get to see that. Um, Rick, uh, Rick in The Walking Dead. If you've watched The Walking Dead, Rick is kind of fucked up at this point. Like, there's no question. Humanity, he's anybody not, that's still alive, he's is not a fucked up. Now. Fucked up. Like, like he's less fucked up now than he was like two seasons ago. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of has gone through the crazy. Yeah. And now he's just at that point where he's like, look. I had fucks. I don't have them anymore. There's so <laughs> I have one left to give. Yeah. yeah, you're on your own. Yeah. So and that's and he's come to the realization at this point. And spoilers if you're not current with with the product, but like he's come to the realization now that the only way that his group survives is if his group takes over. Yeah. And that's where we left off with season five. See, and, but. Even still, like, isn't that a little bit crazy? Like, isn't that the whole, you know, like, don't you think that that's a thing that's every sort of conqueror, dictator, etc. has had some sort of thought. Like, when you picture conquerors and dictators these days, you probably picture this one-dimensional sort of quasi-evil character. Even Hitler. Hitler's probably the most common example of somebody that you just picture as being quintessentially evil. But the reality is... Hitler was a person. Hitler was another three-dimensional person, and so on and so forth. And so are most of the villains that we're talking about, especially when you're talking about human villains, not Disney-esque cartoon villains, but human villains all have these motivations. And I could see easily where you told a story about Rick Grimes in which Rick Grimes was the villain. Um, I think that could be said for any great leader, though. And it's, it's, yeah. it, it's only... And you're... I, as long as I've known you, you've you've been more skeptical about the government than I I have been for a long time. But it's yeah. only like we've only convinced ourselves that our system of government is okay because we the people have a choice. Yeah, for the most part. And Those there was there quotes. was air quotes in there. Uh, this podcast, I guess you guys can't see it, but yeah, um, it isn't about what the people want, and it, it's 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 it. I mean, we don't have leaders anymore. Well, there's people that are in charge, but they're not leaders. And I don't want to turn this into a political podcast. No, I'm not, I don't want to. I don't want to turn. It, I don't want to turn into that but either. The, but the whole point about Rick Grimes is Rick Grimes. Like we don't have a political structure in this world yeah. that that we're exploring in The Walking Dead. So there really is. I mean, there's no voting at this point. Like this is like, if you want to stay alive, this is how we stay alive. You listen to me. You do what I say, and we do it now, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um. So. See, okay, so one point of politics that I do want to mention before we move on, <laughs> and then this is it. Like, the thing that disillusions me about American politics just in general today is the massive amounts of uh, um, money, intervention, and money. First, well, there's two. One is the massive amount of intervention that our government's willing to take in our personal lives, and I'm talking about anything related to privacy. And if you've heard anything about Edward Snowden and the NSA, you probably understand what I'm talking about. Number two is the influence that money has on our government and how often money and political interests um, with money will win over when clearly the American public stand to benefit in the opposite direction. So the, the obvious and easy one to me is just about anything concerning net neutrality. There's a very clear win for everybody who's not a telecom 
And then there's the telecoms that have billions of dollars to lobby. This is actually kind of an exciting time in in politics right now because the two front runners in, in on either side of the campaign, which here's like without getting too political, there should be more than two sides. But yeah, third part, th- uh, two party system is not a great system. No, but the two front runners that we have right now are Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, and neither one of them are relying on corporate interests or money. Um, well, Donald Trump is kind of his own corporate. Donald interest. Trump has his own money, but Bernie Sanders is is also taking a step and saying, "Look, I'm not see, but I'm not letting a super PAC fund my campaign." Doesn't that also sound like a? It's almost a parody of itself. Like our front runner is Bernie Sanders, who has a lot of credentials and reasons and things like that that make him a logical choice to vote for. And then there's Donald Trump. Like. I, it, Donald Trump as a presidential candidate to me sounds like a punchline. I thought honestly that this was a publicity stunt. Well, have you heard any of his speeches? Because he delivers plenty of punchlines. Yeah, just not if you're Mexican. Yeah, they're not funny if you're Mexican at all. <laughs> no, but I I honestly thought this was going to be like a um. I, and I at first when I heard it, I was like, wow, this is a brilliant piece of marketing by Donald Trump. You know, like I'm going to run for president. He's got it was kind of like kind of like ten years ago when Hulk Hogan said he was going to run for president. Or right. Whatever. Everybody was like, oh, okay. It's like. Okay, and another thing that we already talked about today in Back to the Future, when they're like, Ronald Reagan, the president? You mean the actor? You know, it's like that level of absurdity. Like, like it would just be fascinating if we look back on this in 20 years and say, man, I sure miss when Trump was president because everything went so smoothly. But it I, I can't it boggles that. my mind to think about if I were to travel back in time 50 years to just before I was born. Okay, I'm not 50, but... If I were to travel back in time and talk to my grandma and be like, yeah, this dude named Donald Trump, she'd be like, it's Donald Trump, yeah. you know? And then she would see in the news, oh, he's some spoiled rich kid. Yeah. Oh, now he's some rich guy that cheats on his wife and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... I mean, like, Donald Trump is essentially a reality star, and I don't mean that in a positive manner whatsoever. He was kind of America's first reality star, because his life was in the spotlight long before there was reality TV. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it, it is a very interesting time in American politics when, you know... Like, first off, Bernie Sanders I can get behind. Um, and, and I, if, you know, don't get me wrong, I... Uh, have some interest in politics, but I really don't find myself participating very actively at all anymore. So I can't really get too um, specific about um, who's running and things like that um, because I don't really follow it, especially not at this stage because there's not really a, a whole lot I can do. Although I will say candidates like Sanders um, sort of dilis- d- disillusioned me of that because Sanders is some that, somebody that much like uh, Barack Obama, which however you feel about him, his rise um, to the presidency. I remember there was a time where, absolutely nobody knew who the fuck Barack Obama was. And then a year later, he was like the presidential, uh, uh, he was the nominee for the Democratic Party. Uh, I actually called Barack Obama becoming the president back when uh, W was running for his second term. Really? Yeah, because uh, it was against John Kerry, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barack Obama had such overwhelming support in his in Illinois yeah, he stopped campaigning in his own state and actually went out on the campaign trail with John Kerry, trying to draw up support for John Kerry. Wow! And I told my former in-laws, I said that guy will be the president. Yeah, because he had he. I don't I don't know if people who, and and again without getting too political, like 
too political. We're at twenty minutes in now. No, I, no, I well, I'm not. <laughs> anyway, I'm not, I did this too, but I'm not ahead. saying that I hate him or I I like him or whatever. Like I'm kind of indifferent when it comes to Obama. But the thing about it is, is Obama as a young senator, junior senator, mind you, had more charisma than I've seen out of a politician. Oh, in years f- phenomenally so like um whatever line you fall in the divide there th- this is another thing like i would like, i would call myself very anti george w bush but i could easily see why a lot of people find george w appealing and would vote for him and in the same manner i think barack barack was that times 11 you know like he w- like martin luther king jr esque charisma yeah and that that's saying something for american politics these days and now when I look at him, I see a beaten man, and I, it's I. You know, uh, it's funny you mention that because I see kind kind of the same things. Like Barack going into the um, presidency had a lot of grand ideals, and I think I mean, first off, you can see this. You ever um, this is an interesting thing to Google sometime. Look at a president before they um, take office or as they take a, a oath. And then look at the president, especially at the end of an eight year term, and look at what that does just physically to them. But I think that's sort of embodied in Obama a little bit more even than your average candidate. Um, he just, I'm sure he was like, oh yeah, uh, single payer healthcare is like a no brainer. It's kind of like the difference between Apophis in the first season of SG1 and Apophis by the end of the third season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a good nerd reference for it. Yeah. Um, tying it back together. Plus, he kind of looks like Apophis in the beginning anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, that's a hell of a digression. What are we even talking about? Um, uh, Walking Dead. There you go. So post-apoc fiction and Walking Dead. Um, and we were talking. I think. <laughs> and I think how this American started- politics are going to lead us directly there? <laughs> yeah, I think we started that because uh, we were talking about the sort of gray nature of humanity. Like, there's not a, sort of a good or evil. No, there, there is. This is how it is. Yeah, and that's. Here's the thing, man. Like. And we see it every day in society. When you take everything away from somebody, we're left with primal instincts. And those can work to your favor or against, depending on how you choose to apply them. But, um, I mean, what would, what would we do if all of a sudden, like, we didn't have electricity, we didn't have a readily available source of food to feed our families? Yeah, this makes me think of another uh, show. Do you ever watch the show Revolution? Hated it. it. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. Um, everybody involved with that show, just please don't. Um, it, it just got awful. But uh, the idea was fascinating to me. Like, what if all of a sudden tomorrow there is no electricity? So that TV show, I've never seen this actually like written out somewhere. But um, there's a series of books uh, by S.M. Sterling. Um, okay. it's the Emberverse series. Okay. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. So there's, I, I'm, and I'm not, my wife has actually read more of them than I have. And that's probably got to change pretty soon. I actually need to take the time to read. I actually did. Um, didn't they do a movie? And I think it didn't get very well received. They didn't do any movies. What am I thinking of? Um, Revolution is, it's got to be loosely based on that series, but basically what it is, is there's a, there's a pulse. Nah, I'm sure. They, okay. Keep going. There's a pulse and, um, the island of Nantucket disappears. And following the disappearance of Nantucket, present day, 
nothing works anymore. No electricity. You can't even fire guns. Like, guns don't work anymore. Which, that part is kind of far-fetched, but... Because it's... Guns are entirely mechanical. Yeah. But, anyway. um, It is what it is. The the main... The bulk of the series actually takes place in the Pacific Northwest. Um, In fact, the third book is called A Meeting at Corvallis. But, uh, there's... Uh, three other books. the The main change, the, the the novels of the change, are what they were originally called, and there's a ton of them. There was also three of them that are prequels that actually take place on the island of Nantucket after it disappears, um, which is pretty cool. And I think you probably have to read them all the time together. And I'm not going to even attempt at explaining how they tie themselves together because I don't know. I'm not. I I'm not finished any of them. Uh, this is where I'm confused. Sorry to interrupt. Um, if you're listening to this, uh, and you're confused like me, it's because City of Ember, a movie based on an entirely different set of books by an entirely different author, is not what we're talking here. Okay. Um, but you as a, um, high fantasy slash post-APOC fan would probably thoroughly enjoy those books. Yeah, yeah, it's going on my list right now. So, um, I, I have most of them too, so... We have a lot of them. I have I have the entire prequels uh, series, and I believe I have the first seven of the... How long is this series? It's it's big. There's like 12, 13 books, I think, of the main series and the three pre- uh, prequel series. I call them prequels because they basically... The Island of Nantucket, in the main series, that's kind of the catalyst for everything that goes wrong. Well, the, the Island of Nantucket actually gets transported back to like 1235 BC or something. Hmm. Same location. Just a few thousand years ago. And everything that was within this weird dome sphere thing um, goes with it. So there's a there's like a diesel-powered like uh, Coast Guard training vessel and her captain and everything um, that go back and there's it it's it's good. Like it it actually like um Without spoiling too much of it, like when they first get back, they encounter a native tribe um, near where Boston is someday. Yeah. Um, and they kill them all. I mean, they don't kill them all intentionally, but they, like, disease. Because <laughs> they expose them to microorganisms that their bodies have never even heard of before. Yeah. See, this is another thing uh, that's sort of uh, disappointing about real life. Um, so if you ever watch, you know, something like uh, Avatar, as in Blue People Avatar... Or, you know, any of those worlds or movies where we go and visit the exotic worlds and natives and so on and so forth. One of the things that they almost never include for is the fact that there's a very likely chance that we'd kill them all just simply by bringing bacteria that we've evolved over, you know, millions, if not thousands, if not millions of years to, you know, completely not care about anymore. Yeah. I mean, we're drinking beer right now, which is essentially like fermented grains and shit, and it carries microorganisms that would kill people if we took it 50, not 50, but you know, 500 years in the past yeah. and tried to try to feed it to them. Like they had beer back then or something equivalent, but it was different. Like they were different microorganisms, microbes, Definitely. things like, like that's that. A, I mean, that's just, again, evolution. Like there's different microorganisms and basically everything these days. Um, people, of course, uh, here's another, you know, just freak yourself out for a while. You're just full of bacteria, like lots and lots of bacteria um some of it good some of it bad yeah but generally speaking full of bacteria that lots of other organisms especially those that have never been exposed to said bacteria would probably be highly highly allergic if not you know deadly too so yeah 
Anyway, Emberverse. Yeah, put it on your list if you guys haven't read it. It's totally. um, S.M. Sterling is the author, and uh, he's he's really good. I like it. Um, again, I haven't read nearly as many of them as I should. In fact, I've only read like most of the first book of the prequels. Well, I'm looking for something new to read, actually, so that works out pretty well. And this will keep you busy for, well, like no, you like a week or something. But. <laughs> um, no, not quite that bad. So we have one last topic. Yeah. Iron Maiden. Take it, because I am a cursory Iron Maiden fan, but um, this is this discussion is probably going to lose me a little. Okay, I'm going to set you up a little bit. So... Um, Several years ago, I worked full-time at one job, but I, I took a second job uh, several months before Christmas, a seasonal-type position at um, FYE, when yeah. we still had one. As lots of people do. and um, Not go to FYE, otherwise they'd still be around. Right. Yeah. But um, one, of the, one of the things that happened is that uh, I was one of the few seasonal employees that was allowed to keep one of the demo CDs that we had in the store when we stopped demoing the music, and that is... Iron Maiden's Dance of Death record. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has got to be 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. Uh, had not really been exposed to Iron Maiden a whole lot at that point, but it was free and I like metal. So I put it in and I was like, this is where metal came from. Yeah. You know, not really, but I mean, it's, it's one of the bands. Um, but I kind of went on an Iron Maiden binge and I literally like... Didn't go to FYE. I went to, what's that other one? Borders. Yeah. When it was in Corvallis and I bought like all of them. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Iron Maiden records too. So I dropped yeah. a, a few pennies on that. But um, Iron Maiden's one of those bands that was really, really good. Um, it started out really good. Uh, their original singer, fuck if I can remember his name, uh, Paul, Paul Deano. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Paul Diano was apparently a little bit more into the party scene than the rest of the band needed him to be. And so he only lasted the first two records, which was Iron Maiden and then the follow-up, uh, which was Killers. Then they hired a dude from a band called Samson. And that guy's name was Bruce Dickinson. And Bruce Dickinson is God. No. Um, yeah, you may have heard of him. <laughs> he's a tiny little man, but goddamn, the guy's got a set of pipes. And high energy, just all over the place. Um, did a shit ton of records, then went and did solo stuff, and they hired Blaze Bailey to come on for two records. I'm not a fan of those two. That was Virtual XI and one other one. Talk if I know it. Yeah, I'm completely out of my element here, so. Um, but Bruce Dickinson came back. Um, and the, so the, the cool dynamic of the band now is that when Bruce left the band, so did, um, I think his name is Adrian. One of the guitar players. So he left at the same time. Um, so they hired a guitar player named Yannick Gers to play alongside uh, Murray. Dave Murray? Dave Murray, I think, is his name. Could be incorrect because I actually... I know, like, Nico McBrain is the drummer. and <laughs> I know I know weird guys from that band, like Yannick Gers. Yeah. But... Um, Adrian Smith was the was the other guitar player, but when Bruce was coming back, he wanted Adrian to come back with him, and the band said, well, we already hired Yannick, though, and we're not going to dismiss him. So they have three guitar players now, full-time. Which, you know, for Maiden, seems not like a bad idea. It's rad. Yeah. Um, because they they can harmonize their solos way in, in, in super cool ways. Um, but 
Maiden since then. So they, the Brave New World was the first album they did with Bruce Dickinson back in the band. Not my favorite. I actually don't like it. A lot of the lyrics are super repetitive. Like they'll just repeat the chorus line over and over and over again in several of the songs, and that 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 wears on me because I like music for what it is, which is art and mm-hmm. expression. And if you're just yelling the same thing at me over and over again, you're not expressing yourself in a way that means anything to me. Well, unless it's Rage Against the Machine and you're saying, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. In which case, art. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the next couple records have been really good. Uh, Dance of Death was after that. Um, I, I don't even remember all the names of the records. But the new one is super good. You should look this up because I don't remember the name of it. We'll be right with you. <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna look this up, and I'm gonna figure out. Uh, this is gonna have to go on my like to listen list because I will admit, like, I am completely, I'm totally not in touch with Iron Maiden whatsoever. So the cool thing about this record, Iron Maiden is known for having some some tracks that are relatively long. Like, um, "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner" is a pretty pretty long track. Which is, you know, fine with me because my favorite band is Tool, so. The new record is 11 songs on two discs. That is, that, those are some long songs. <laughs> yeah, the first disc I think has uh, six tracks and the, the second one has five. And I mean, that's probably not counting any foreign imports that have bonus tracks or anything like that, so. So I'm assuming we're talking about their 16th, that's right, 1-6 um album the book of souls which book of souls on that's september 4th of this year yeah and honestly i've not given it enough listens to have like a, a standout track but the whole thing um at this point is is good like you're if you're a maiden fan like you'll you'll dig this um and they're going on tour and i'm gonna find a link so eddie can put it on the site uh bruce dickinson as well as being one of the best metal singers in the history of metal also is a commercially licensed pilot and will be flying their new 747 Iron Maiden jet to each tour date. Which in itself is badass. Also, if you're wondering, folks, Iron Maiden is on Spotify, including the Book of Souls, um, which is just awesome because now I know I'm listening to it on my way home tonight. <laughs> so... Iron Maiden is your homework for this week, folks. Iron Maiden. Check it out. Um, if you're a metal fan, you'll already know it's good. If you're not a metal fan, hopefully you will be after you listen to Iron Maiden. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a ton of people listening to me right now that are like, you dipshit. Are you serious right now? You haven't listened to Iron Maiden? Dude. Which, don't get me wrong, um, like, I'm not completely oblivious. There are certainly songs I would recognize from Maiden, but no. Like, especially 16 studio albums, I, I couldn't name one of them probably off the top of my head. Ah, that is my wonderful wife delivering me half a beer that she did not finish. Yeah, which that's where the wonderful comes from. Um, so yeah, Iron Maiden. Um, and here's the thing: if you already are a fan, but you haven't seen them in concert, or you don't know if you can afford it, or whatever, if they're playing near you, go donate plasma or whatever you have to do. Go watch them. I saw them live in 2005, and they were doing nothing but cuts from their first four records. Um, and even though Bruce wasn't on the first two records, he still does the songs better than Paul Dano ever did. <laughs> uh, fucking amazing, man. They had like a 12, 15 foot tall um, Eddie is their yeah. mascot. Yeah. The, the big zombie guy. And like 
Dave Murray would like twirl his guitar around and like battle it. The, and I mean, it's a show. Defi- there's it is definitely a, show. a reason Maiden's famous. Like there, there's there's metal bands and there's fame in metal, and then there's Iron Maiden. Like Iron Maiden and Metallica are probably the two that like if you were to say define metal for me, um, those were probably the two. Uh, although I'd stop at certain points in Metallica's history, but uh, yeah. I, tr- I try. I try really hard not to come down too hard on Metallica, and then somebody will play a track from St. Anger, and I'm like, fuck you! <laughs> All you hear is drums, God damn it! Um, Why isn't there any fucking guitar solos on did this? Did you ever see, or did I ever show, um, maybe you sent me the thing, but there's a, uh, a fan did a recut where he plays all of the instruments for um, basically the entire, and I think they just cut, he just cut in Lars, um, not Lars Scott, well, I was going to say Lars, uh, I think he just cut in James on the vocals, but he did the entire album, um, so he covered all the instruments and then mixed it all together like you would if you weren't Lars Ulrich and you didn't want to hear nothing but drums the whole time. I, I think you linked that to me. I don't know who, who linked it to you, but yeah. yeah. I, just uh, that That's a really interesting... Um, if you hated St. Anger, um, I'd get, got it. I'll have to find a link for that. I probably will forget, but I'll have to find a link for that because... If you listen to that, it sounds a lot, lot better. I didn't hate every cut on that record. I just, overall in general, like, so you have you have a band. And in that band, you have Kirk Hammett, who yeah. honestly is one of the, the preeminent guitar players of his time. Yeah. And then you don't let him play any solos. Yeah. And I don't care how many times you watch the documentary and you think you might have heard him infer that he didn't want to. That's bullshit. A guitar player wants to. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I at least I somewhere. barely can play a guitar, and I want to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I could see him getting bored with every so song having you know some balls to the wall solo. Um, but just yeah, no, you want to sometimes. You definitely want to. Do me a favor. Anybody listening to this, next time you meet Zach Wilde, ask him if he would ever consider doing a black label record <laughs> with no guitar solos. And he'll probably headbutt you until you stop breathing. Yeah. When you wake up, tell us how that went. Yeah. That's just throwing that out there. Yeah. I actually, I hadn't listened to black label in forever. Mm-hmm. And I started throwing black label on my phone so I could listen to it in my car. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of back into it again. Like it's, Super good. You still have my CD, too. Yeah, it's actually sitting right on my entertainment site. Is it? Yeah, I keep forgetting. <laughs> I, I, every week I say to myself, oh, I should probably bring that over. Have you listened to it, like, a single time? Uh, yeah, it's probably been, like, two years now, because I think that's how long it's been sitting in my house. But... Yeah. All right, everybody. That is whatever for this week. Um, as always, you can like us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. You can... Um, that's at whatever show and Facebook.com <clears throat> slash... Uh, whatever you show you can send your um, email questions and so forth to questions at whatever.co and as always you can find our website at whatever.co if you like the show if you want to tell us anything if you want to help support the show you can do two things which will help us out a ton one is go to itunes right now right this second while you're listening because you're going to forget later because i would do it because i'm a douchebag like you are too so go to itunes right now give us a rating and subscribe um, the other thing you can do to help the show is uh, right now just go to uh, Amazon and you know buy some shit that we link up there. Um, 
And then finally, probably the biggest, best, most awesome thing you can do for the show is tell your friends. Um, link us to your friends in whatever format you prefer. We're also on Stitcher if you only use Stitcher. Um, but there's a, a vast majority of ways that you can get um, whatever on your listening device of choice. So check out one of those for us, please. Um, and if you don't want to, tell us why at one of those links we just talked about. So Yeah. Um, no news is actually terrible news when it's podcasting. So, you know, I think everybody that does anything like this, whether it's a blog, a podcast, releases a song, any sort of creative endeavor, one of the big thing is big things with that is you just want feedback, even if it's telling you you're an asshole. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I mean, it'd be better if you didn't tell us we're assholes. If you tell me I'm an asshole, I'm just going to tell you that I've known that for a long time. Yeah, and it's like, not that, that that's not news. But but tell us why we suck if you think we suck. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to address real quick before we close the show is the email address is questions at whatever dot co. It's not dot com. I know it's confusing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not getting emails. Not like so com. we assume that it's because you guys are sending them to <laughs> questions com. at whatever dot com. It's not dot com. It's dot co. Yeah. Right, we made we... it easier. We, we left out an entire letter just to make it easier for you guys. Yep. All right. Night, everybody. Good night. Have a good week.